Welcome to the Movie Planet Season 4, Episode 18. This week we're talking about 2000's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? In constant sorrow With Joe. Uh, you're going to have to excuse my rusticated friend, uh, unaccustomed as he is to uh, city manners. No. JC. I'll tell you what I am. I'm the pedophilias. And Joel. They loved him up and turned him into a horny toad. I'm your host, Joe, and with me are the Everett and Delmar to my Pete Hogwallop. JC, Joel, how you doing, boys? Dude, I'm well. I'm all right. Did you enjoy the movie this week? Although I'm half left. Yes, you are, but you're also half right. That's true. <laughs> you guys en- did you enjoy the movie this week? I always enjoy this movie. Yeah. It's one where as soon as I watch it, I have to like go listen to the soundtrack because it's one I have the soundtrack to as well. And so we just... Go to sleep, my lady. <laughs> well, you said about the soundtrack earlier. You're like, everybody bought the soundtrack. Yeah, everybody, oh, everybody did. Yeah. It went up there with like Mulan of the early. <laughs> I don't have Mulan's soundtrack, and I really only remember liking the one song. Reflection? Maybe no. I, did, I was not a big fan of the... I mean, it was a beautiful song. It sounded good. Yeah. My song was Make a Man Out of You. I love that okay. song. I listened to that song over <laughs> and over before there was a YouTube my mother got mad because I ruined the VHS on a lot. I ruined a lot of VHSs because I would listen or watch the same part of movies over and over and over, and not even in the naughty, disgusting way that you I was going to say. Because right I was like, I know no. I ruined a few VHSs no. also, but for the wrong reason. No, I actually didn't ruin any VHSs for that reason. Not said and do it, but I didn't ruin them. I ruined my man. Uh, uh, Where's that going? <laughs> Man from Snowy River. That's what I was trying to say. Okay. Because I would watch the music part where he jumps over the mountain over and over. I would watch that part over and over again. I figured you'd appreciate Man from Snowy River is actually on Netflix this week. Oh, so Joel, have I've, you seen Man from Snowy River? I have not. Please check this out. <laughs> We're curious as to what you think of this movie. Fine, I'll put all of my Marvel uh, stuff on hold. No, never mind. Man from Snowy River, you put it aside. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, because you watched uh, Captain America, the first Avenger this week. I watched Captain America. I also watched Thor. And, and Thor. And I watched Logan. Yes. What did you think of Logan? Loved Logan. <laughs> now, it's good. Of the other two, you mentioned that you really liked Thor. Yeah. Which puts him in JC's camp. Yep, Thor really, is a great really movie. Like Thor. And but you all, what did you get, Captain America? I liked it more than I thought I would. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I truly did enjoy it. Um, I'm not a big. It takes a lot for me to watch a movie that is set in like the World War II mm-hmm. era or even anything before that. Even uh, Oh Brother Where Art That was always tough to watch early on because everything's kind of the same color. And so those, <laughs> yellow. Yeah. <laughs> so all those movies are a little tough for me to watch, but. I really enjoyed uh, Civil War, or not Civil War, but just Captain America, but I'll talk about that a little bit later. All right. Um, This week, we will be talking about the 2000 Coen Brothers crime film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Joel has nominated this for the crime movie pantheon. So in an hour (laughs) or so, we will discuss it, analyze it, grade it, and either induct it or exclude it. This week, we are talking about 2000's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Directed by Joel and Ethan Coen, written by Joel and Ethan Coen, adapted, adapted from the epic poem by Homer, The Odyssey. Starring George Clooney as Everett, John Turturro as Pete Hogwallop, 
Tim Blake Nelson as Delmar O'Donnell, John Goodman as Big Dan Teague, Holly Hunter as Penny, Chris Thomas King as Tommy Johnson, Charles Durning as Happy O'Daniel, and Michael Badaluco as George Nelson, Babyface Nelson. This is such a good movie. <laughs> so good. A little trivia about this film. The film's soundtrack became an unlikely blockbuster, even surpassing the success of the film. By early 2001, it had sold 5 million copies, spawned a documentary film, three follow-up albums, two concert tours, and won country music awards for album of the year and single of the year for Man of Constant Sorrow. It also won five Grammys, including Album of the Year, and hit number one on the Billboard album charts the week of March 15th, 2002, 63 weeks after its release and over a year after the release of the film. It won five Grammys? Yes. <laughs> I thought it won two. Was it nominated? Wow. Good for them. Um, is this more a state of how bad music is today that we had to go back to Depression-era music to win a Grammy? But this is just really... <laughs> But I mean, no, because this was Allison Krauss and oh, and it was phenomenal. Yeah, maybe it's the Appalachia in me that's speaking, but this was just a yeah. I also amazing. love I love Appalachian music. If it's bluegrass or if it's with a fiddle, mm -hmm. yeah. I remember after I mean it was obviously years after this movie came out. I worked security at Bonnaroo, mm -hmm. and I was on my very last shift. I was working a tent, and the lineup was Old Crow Medicine Show, followed by Allison Krauss, followed by Mumford and Sons, and they all came out together at the very end and played amazing grace together. Mm -hmm. And it like, I had like all these like flashbacks of listening to this soundtrack over and over again. I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> it is one of the most remarkable things about this movie is how, if you heard the song outside of the movie, you might be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's interesting. But when you hear it in the context of the movie, it's like, damn, I love this mo this music. One evening as the sun went down, the jungle fires were burning. Uh, there are a lot of references to Homer's Odyssey. Uh, the names of George Clooney and Holly Hunter's characters are Ulysses and Penelope. Uh, One-eyed Big Dan as the Cyclops. The three girls by the river as the Sirens. Mm, and they're nice. Ulysses' wife marrying someone else when he comes home. The old man disguise. Uh, the changing of one of Ulysses' companions into an animal. I'm not going to read all these, but there are a lot of there references. There are a lot of connections. But they don't go full bore with the Odyssey. You know, they make tribute. it their own story. Yeah, it's more of a tribute. Exactly. This is just a tribute. Everett's task of finding one little ring in the middle of all that water is an impossible deed, not unlike Odysseus's final task of carrying an oar to a land that knows nothing of the sea. In many occasions, Everett denies the existence of God and sometimes even insults God. Odysseus insulting gods was the reason for all the obstacles in his journey. <laughs> a visual connection to the Odyssey appears during the evening following Babyface Nelson's third bank robbery when Ulysses is seen sitting on a destroyed Greek column, the bottom of which is still upright besides him. Hmm. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, were you guys excited to see this movie for the show? Uh, yes. This is this is one of those movies I watch like once a year. Yeah. This is this is a good movie. Joel, how about you? What do you got? Man, I love this movie. This was a movie that like me and my dad used to watch, and I still listen to the soundtrack if I need like a pick me up in class or anything like this. this but this was always a like if it's on TV, gotta watch it. I know we've talked about a few of those in the past, but. You know, I love this movie, and I was really excited to watch it. And you know, as a person that's doing a podcast instead of just having it as background noise, listening to what you just said and and watching it last night, I I have a question: Do we love this? Because I also love this movie, but do I love this movie because of the music, or do I love it because of the movie? Because I also have the soundtrack. I listen to it on car trips when we go to the beach and stuff. We listen to this soundtrack, and I love 
the music. So is this a great movie because we love the music or is it a good movie? I I thought about that and I think you have to compare it to other movies that you love and you also love the soundtrack. Like I love Home Alone and yeah. I think Home Alone's soundtrack is one of the best out there. If you take the soundtrack away, yeah, it doesn't do the same thing, I but I say, still love the movie. I was going to say, I wonder if this movie is as good without the soundtrack. From a person that loves fast-talking Clooney, I would say it still would be, but you wouldn't get the full effect, but that's, you know, I think that's obvious for all movies. You know, he didn't say Clooney in his guy crush, and I would like to point out we did Fantastic Mr. Fox, Clooney, <laughs> and now we're doing Little Brother, Where Are Thou? Where was your Clooney crush, man? Where, I, where was it? I do love George Clooney. That's true. Joe? Yeah, definitely. This is what I'm excited for. Uh, my memory of this film is a good one. My my mother dragged me to the theater in 2000 to the art house theater to go see this. And I was like, I don't want to see this movie. It's an art house film. <laughs> and I went and I left the place and I was like, I love this movie. I need to see it again. It's hysterical. But you made a good point. And that is, is it because of the music? Is it just a two hour music video? Yeah. But then I thought about it as you guys were talking and that is, how many movies can you think of where, or franchises that you can think of where the music is as important to the movie as this is? Star Wars, the music is important, is, is as important to the movie as the actual action is. I agree it's important, but with this one, you almost need the music to tell the story. Mm -hmm. Like the songs they choose are telling the story in a way. And I don't know, I, I, and this sounds like sacrilege, I'm not saying the music in Star Wars isn't important. It is. You need that music to get the tone and the feelings. But what other movies are there where you need the music purely to tell the story? Yeah. Like you don't have the story unless you hear these songs. Right. It will and end. outside of a musical, like I, I can't think of another movie. Well, in a contrast, Joe, you kind of mentioned earlier, it's like, or would this mute, would the music be as good if it weren't for the movie that was behind it? So it's a weird, like yeah. back and forth with this chicken can't, or egg. Can't have one without the other. We yeah. just put them together. Uh, JC, how about you? Uh, I cannot remember the first time that I saw this movie. I just know that I did. I know I got the DVD very early. I can't remember if it was for a birthday or Christmas. It may have been Christmas, but I got it very early. But I've just, I've always watched it and I've always loved it. So I can't remember my first time, but I know I've seen it probably over 15 times. Mm -hmm. Like I can easily say that. Okay, here we go. Synopsis of the movie, courtesy of Imdaba. IMDb. I don't know who that is. How you doing, son? Name's Everett. These two soggy sons of bitches are uh, Pete and Delmer. Keep your fingers away from Pete's mouth. He ain't had nothing to eat for 13 years except prison food, gopher, and a little greasy horse. Thanks for the lift, sir. My name's Tommy. Tommy Johnson. How you doing, Tommy? Say, I haven't seen a house out here for miles. What are you doing out in the middle of nowhere? Well, I had to be at that there crossroads last midnight. Sell my soul to the devil. Well, ain't it a small world, spiritually speaking? Pete and Delmer just been baptized and saved. I guess I'm the only one that remains unaffiliated. This ain't no laughing matter, Everett. What'd the devil give you for your soul, Tommy? Well, he taught me to play this here guitar real good. Oh, son, for that you traded your everlasting soul? Well, I wouldn't use me. I've always wondered, what's the devil look like? Well, of course, they're all manner of lesser imps and demons, Pete, but the great Satan himself is red and scaly with a bifurcated tail. He carries a hay fork. Oh, no. No, sir. He's white. As white as you folks. With empty eyes and a big hollow voice. He loved to travel around with a mean old hound. 
That's right. And he told you to go to Tisha Mango? Well, no, sir. Well, that was my idea. I heard there's a man down there. He pays folks money singing to his can. They say he pays an extra if you play real good. Fisher Mingo, huh? How much he pay? <laughs> Ulysses Everett McGill, a suave, fast-talking convict, escapes from incarceration in Mississippi during the Great Depression. He is chained to two other prisoners, slow-witted Delmar and hot-tempered Pete. So the three must escape together. Everett convinces them that he has hidden $1.2 million after robbing an armored car and promises to split it with them. They hitch a ride with an elderly blind man on a railway handcar, and he foretells that they will indeed find a treasure, though it may not be the one they seek. Dun, dun, dun. I have no name. <laughs> so what do you think of this opener? Awesome. It's so good. It's I do remember. You know, I just said I don't remember the first time I watched it, which I don't know if I was in a theater or at home or what. But I do remember my first thought with this scene, mm-hmm. and my first thought was, "That's weird," but it was kind of <laughs> cool. Like because I remember seeing it as a kid. I remember thinking this was oh, this is another one of those smart movies I'm not going to get. But as I watched it over and over and over, I grow more and more appreciation for it. Mm-hmm. And the first time I saw that, I'm like. What the hell is he talking about? What's going on? <laughs> and I didn't know anything about the. I, so I had to have watched this 2000. How old would I have been? I'd have been a junior. So I wasn't that young, but I wasn't that smart. So <laughs> <laughs> I probably didn't make a whole lot of connections. So we'll go with that one. It's hard to believe this is 17 years old. This, wow. This intro provides some of my favorite lines in the entire movie already, which is like, Wait a minute. Who elected you leader of this outfit? <laughs> well, Pete, I just figured it should be the outfit. one with capacity for abstract thought. But if that ain't the consensus view, hell, let's put her to a vote. Yeah, fast-talking Clooney is great in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I, it start. You immediately get the tone of how they're going to talk to each other. It's that Southern wit where it's overly educated. Well, I was going to well, it sounds like you could say, oh, they're just Southerners, but they're smart. Like, everything they say, it may be like... Oh, I'm just from down on the farm. But when you when you think about what he said, he's like, couldn't have said that better. Yeah, like it's sort of that old Southern wisdom. It's got this that. Is, this is a movie where it's like, if you want to know why people are smart, this is why they're smart. But it also does things like in the middle of all that wit, they pronounce things sometimes incorrectly. Obstacles. It exaggerates <laughs> a lot, but yeah. it's good. So you get the old man who's supposed to be like the prophet, yep. you know, and, and he the blind prophet, he, he tells him something that's going to happen by the end of the film, which is, yeah, he's going to get his treasure, but it's not the one he's seeking. Nope. They travel on foot to visit Pete's cousin, Washington Agua, who removes their shackles and allows him to sleep in his barn. And they have a nice little dinner where <laughs> the little boy is sitting on all of those. Where's ma? She done. Are you an N-O-F-T? Run off. Daddy don't think I can spell. That I can't spell. That was the moment in the movie theater where I was like, I like this movie now. Yeah. However, the trio is awakened by the authorities, led by the partly blind World War One veteran Sheriff Cooley, after Hogwallop turns them in for the reward. Who is uh, from Seinfeld? Yes, he was George's boss, wasn't he? He was uh, Elaine's. Oh no no, yeah George. Yeah. Uh, the barn is set ablaze, but Everett, Pete, and Delmar escape with the help of Hogwallop's rambunctious young son, who drives them out of the fiery barn in a car. <laughs> Get in, fellas! We're gonna R U N N O F T. You stole from my kin, who was fixing to betray us. 
<laughs> you didn't know that. So I took it until I did. <laughs> it's so good. I want I, I to point out here, and that is Delmar, John, John Turturro, Dim Blake Nelson, and George Clooney. Nobody else can play those roles. No. Nobody no. else can. No. They are synonymous with those roles now. I couldn't picture anybody else playing them. They continue their journey and encounter a religious congregation in the midst of a mass baptism. Pete and Delmar are drawn in and are baptized as well. <laughs> I've been saved. I, I've been <laughs> washed away. I've been forgiven. Knocking over that piggly wiggly. You said you were innocent of those charges. Well, I was lying. I, and I'm I forgiven of that, that too. <laughs> uh, they later pick up a hitchhiking young black guitarist, Tommy Johnson, who claims he sold his soul to the devil in exchange for musical talent. <laughs> oh, Tommy. Could... Oh, no, no, no. That... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does say yeah, that. you oh. sold your everlasting soul. <laughs> Well, I wasn't using it. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the conversation in the car. Everything George Clooney says in the car is a golden statement. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, these two were just baptized and I remain unaffiliated. <laughs> <laughs> Seems as though I'm the only one that's gone unaffiliated. <laughs> yeah. Then there is his discussion of the devil. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I sold my soul to Satan. What's he look like? Well, of course, there's all manner of lesser imps and demons, Pete, but the great <laughs> Satan himself is red with scaly with a bifurcated tail and a carries a hay fork. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. He a white man. <laughs> Just like you. The uh, But then, right after he says that, we have the shot of the sheriff. Yes. Like, there's a cutback to the sheriff, and so instantly we're like, oh, hmm? he's the devil. Yeah, and he's got the hound that he talks about also. Uh, but is this before or after? Does he, doesn't he go to the, the store, the general store, to get his Dapper Dan, and all he has is fop? Um, yeah, because he's, that's another one of my favorite lines is, well, isn't this a geographical oddity? Two weeks from everywhere. It's hard to believe that this film didn't win any awards. I, I don't know how it didn't either. I mean, it's probably because not enough people saw it. Well, I don't think it broke the, bo the box office. And the problem is, is it's it's what I'm surprised people don't call it a cult classic, because once people see it, mm -hmm. they realize, oh, this is a great movie. But if you ask a bunch of people, have you seen it? No. But if you played the soundtrack, if you played that song, oh, I've heard that before. Yeah. Well, the reason it didn't win as many awards, which we'll get to later, is because action movies Titanic came out. Of the Gladiator. Yeah. And uh, everyone lost their mind over the Gladiator. That's true. Gladiator was 2000. And which we've never reviewed. So is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That was a good movie, too. Yeah. They hear that the nearby WEZY radio station pays people to sing into a can. So they pay a visit to the blind disc jockey played by Stephen Root brilliantly and sing a version of Man of Constant Sorrow with Tommy accompanying them. Calling themselves the Soggy Bottom Boys, they are paid cash and leave satisfied. However, unbeknownst to them, their record becomes wildly popular around the state with no one knowing the identity of the band. All except for our, comp, our company, a comp, uh, the, well, the fellow that plays guitar. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, Steven Root is great as the blind mm -hmm. guy. I, in fact, the first few times I watched this, I still had no idea what he was saying. <laughs> he speaks. That's, that, that's fine. <laughs> such thick Southern drawl. You have yeah. no idea what he's saying. Nope. Uh, and when they break, apparently George Clooney did a few takes where he was actually singing the song and it just didn't sound good enough. So they brought in the people that actually sing it. And the voice actually matches perfectly to what he's doing. Yeah. But the, 
the expression on Tim Blake Nelson and John Turturro's faces as they are singing the, in that day he was born and raised. And then they step back and it's like, oh my God, to act in this movie must have been so much fun. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, and it's also, it's a movie where when, after I saw it, I immediately started looking up to see if that Tommy Johnson actor played guitar as a blues guitarist, and he actually is one. And I remember oh, downloading cool. one of his albums, and I was like, ah, oh, it's really good. He's, he's got some chops. I, I, I love yeah. it, man. Yeah. Oh, and right afterwards, doesn't the Papio Daniel and his crew show up at the radio station? Yeah, looking for him. <laughs> What is, they, what they, what's this quote? He's like, I ain't here to sing into a can, you dumb cracker, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Everything Papio Daniel says <laughs> is just a nonstop insult to everyone around him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that night, the shadowy Sheriff Cooley and police track them down and find their car near their campsite. Everett, Pete, and Delmar part ways with Tommy as they escape. The next day, they meet famed Robert George Babyface Nelson on the run from the police. Not the livestock, George. <laughs> oh, George. I can't remember. How did they run into him? Was it, they were on the road walking away from the... So they left the car, right? He pulled up and picked he, them up, didn't he? Oh, yeah. that's right. He, they, he picked them up. Wait, didn't he ask them if they needed a lift someplace? But what happened to their car? They weren't in a car at that point. But they took a car to the radio station, didn't they? The car just goes missing. Plot hole. Maybe it was a cafefe. A... <laughs> Hold and on. So we begin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, the, the, the car just poof. They're trying to find out where to go. <laughs> they take it to the station, and then they don't have one, right? Oh, well, Tommy's not. Is Tommy with them anymore? Do they give the car to Tommy? Yeah, where did Tommy go? Is that just like an unsaid thing? Like, do they just give the t car to Tommy? I guess so, because Tommy isn't with them anymore, is he? <laughs> Tommy may have taken it. The sheriff makes a signal to a man holding a torch. Don't be a fool, Everett. We got R-U-N-N-O-F-T. Where's Tommy? Already lit out, scared out of his wits. Let's go. So, then, so uh, Tommy took Tommy the car. Took the car. Yeah. So that's subtle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There we go. Every, so Everett, Pete, and Delmar part ways with Tommy as they escape. The next day, they, famed, they meet famed robber George Babyface Nelson on the run from the police and accompany him in robbing a bank. <clears throat> he gives them a share of the stolen loot and departs. Depressed. I'm pretty sure this is not the last time we will see George Nelson. The trio encounters three sirens. You want to sing your song? Go to sleep, my little baby. <laughs> Beautiful women washing clothes in the river and are seduced by them. Delmar and Everett discover the next morning, though, they, they left his heart. That Pete has disappeared. And Delmar believes the women had turned him into a toad. Loved him <laughs> a up. Horny toad. A horny toad. <laughs> I love how it's presented, though. You just see his clothes laid out, and then that leap in his shirt. <laughs> then they take the frog, stick it in a shoebox, and just carry it along with them because they think it's actually Pete. Yep. <laughs> um, carrying Pete in a shoebox, Delmar and Everett go to a restaurant where they meet Big Dantigue, played by John Goodman. <laughs> A one-eyed Bible salesman. Thinking that their box contains money, Big Dan lures them to a field for an advanced tutorial on salesmanship. He pulls a branch off a tree and violently beats the two men, kills the toad after finding no cash and steals the car. That was a hard scene to watch when I was younger. I also remember this being like, wow, this went like up to the whole point. It was like funny. It was and like that scene made it. Wow, this is 
dark, and maybe this isn't a kid's movie, because I also remember seeing this as young, the, even though mathematically I should have been a junior. The, uh, <laughs> one of my uh, favorite lines in this comes from, obviously, George Clooney again, but also kind of paints the picture of he's... He's doing everything for his own accord. It's after he hits, after he hits Delmar with the branch, he just looks up eating corn. He's like, "What's going on, Big Dan?" Yeah, <laughs> like he doesn't jump to the aid of his friend. He's just, "What's going on, Big Dan?" Bam. Yeah. So Everett and Delmar, freshly beaten, arrive at Everett's hometown, where he attempts to speak to his estranged wife Penny, mother of his seven daughters. Yes. Why are you telling our gals I was hit by a train? Lots of respectable people have been hit by trains. Judge Hoover over in Cookville was hit by a train. What was I going to tell him? That you got sent to a penal farm and I divorced you for shame? Uh, I take your point. But it does put me in a damn awkward position vis-a-vis my progeny. I am the paterfamilias. <laughs> Sorry. That's my favorite quote. It's the youngest girls. The, the three girls, the Warby girls, first of all, are adorable. But the way that they all speak in turn yeah. is seamless. Yeah. Yep. They practice that a lot. Mama said you was hit by a train. Bluey, nothing left. Just a grease spot in the Allen Inn. Damn it. I never met by any train. <laughs> He's a suitor. He finds that Penny is engaged to Vernon T. Waldrip, the campaign manager for Homer Stokes. Oh, Homer. See what they did there? Mm-hmm. Yep. Who is running for governor against the grouchy elderly incumbent, Pappy O'Daniel. Penny refuses to take Everett back and was so ashamed of his arrest that she told their daughters he was hit by a train and killed. Uh, this is when we get the fist fight between Waldrip and Clooney. What a funny fight scene. <laughs> <laughs> you can't talk that way to my fiance. Well, well you, you lying, unconstant succubus. <laughs> well, you can't marry my wife. <laughs> Holly Hunter's character, Penny, seems like the perfect foil for him. The only good thing you ever did for those gals was get hit by that train. (laughs) I wasn't hit by no train. (laughs) Rejected, forlorn, Everett and Delmar attend a movie where a prison chain gang is in the audience. Pete, it turns out, was turned into the police by the sirens and is once again in chains. In the theater... Pete advises his friends to abandon their quest as it is a bushwhack. Do not (laughs) seek the treasure. We thought you was a A toad. toad. Do not (laughs) seek. Watch the picture. (laughs) That night, Everett and Delmar stealthily break him out of jail. Pete tearfully confesses that after threatened with death by the authorities, he revealed their plans to find the armored car loot for Sheriff Cooley, whom they finally learn is the one who has been hunting them across the state. However, Everett reveals that he fabricated the story to entice Pete and Delmar to escape with him. Everett had truthfully been arrested for practicing law without a license and was determined to escape when he heard his wife plan to remarry. If caught, the trio could face an additional 50 years in jail and an enraged Pete tackles Everett. The first like legit emotion of like, oh, I feel really bad for these characters was when you find out that Pete only had two weeks left. Yeah. Yes. Like that, that was gut wrenching. Mm-hmm. Like even now, and I've seen the movie a million times, but you're like, dang. Two weeks. Like, at no point he could have been like, jerk. Just saw it. Really like, chew these chains off. I'm staying for two weeks. And you're already kind of angry at Clooney for just all of his talking smart, but not being the smartest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it turns out Delmar. Oh. Yeah, this is this is when the movie tries to get serious to make a point. And at the same time, 
I don't know how I feel about this. I don't think <clears> they <throat> tried. I think they made the point. Well, I'm, I'm, well, that's what I'm saying. It was, yeah. I don't know really how I feel about how this scene fits in this movie because so far it's been a certain tone the whole way through. Then you have him lying, admitting to lying to these people. Why are they still with them then? Why do they stick with them after that point? Loyalty. I mean, where or they, they have nowhere else to go. Where yeah. else do they have to go? Yeah. At this point, they're already going back to jail, so they might as well try to get his treasure. He hears that his wife's going to get remarried. That's awfully quick news to get. And then later you figure out that the news doesn't quite move that fast where they're at because the man in the shades doesn't, at the very end, says, well, we never got that talk about your partner or anything. So there's an inconsistency in the way news spreads in this town. Well, maybe she told him over like a letter early on. Yeah, then. she may have sent a letter to him. <coughs> okay. So I think, Come on. Don't they reference Give it that? a MacGuffin, man. Give it a MacGuffin. <laughs> I want to say, no, say that like he does get, like he finds out through a letter. I don't know. Or maybe I just uh, inferred that from the clues I, don't I was remember. given. But. To be honest, this was one of those movies that whenever I sat down to watch it, I thought to myself, yes, I'm going to critique. I, I just watched it. Well, that's the I thing. I just enjoyed it. <laughs> but he also doesn't know she's getting remarried until he talks to the Warby girls because they're the ones that tell them that he's she's met somebody else and she's going to get married. They tell him because he's surprised by now it. Now I feel like I need to go rewatch it. <laughs> he's going just to find his his wife and then he finds out later that she's getting remarried so he's lying again here to them about her getting re- he knew she was going to be remarried when he didn't he's just a I'll man to go lies. back and watch that yeah the three the th- now this is many people's favorite scene. maybe maybe that's the lesson the reason we can't put it together is because the lesson was when you have somebody that constantly tells lies eventually when you start pulling at the threads of their lies you realize you don't know why they did any of it because everything they said was a lie. Yeah. And maybe that's the lesson in the movie is it was shot exactly the way it was supposed to be and edited the way it was supposed to be because Clooney's character is a liar and you don't know what he does. So his story changes depending on who his audience is. The three stumble upon a KKK rally in a nearby field. Shocked, they see that Tommy Johnson has been captured and that the clan is preparing to hang him. The trio disguise themselves as color guard members and <laughs> attempt to rescue Tommy, but are confronted by Big Dan Teague, a member in audience. The Grand Wizard, it so happens, is candidate for Governor Homer Stokes. After a scuffle, Everett, Pete, and Delmar topple a huge fiery crucifix onto Big Dan, presumably killing him, and escape with Tommy. I love the shot, though, where they throw the spear, yeah. and he catches it with two hands, just boom. Yep. Uh, because in the Homer's book, he loses an eye from a fiery pole. Yeah. And in this, that was the fiery pole. And he didn't lose it. Yeah. The four men arrive at a campaign dinner, disguised by long false beards, pretending to be the hired band. They slip on stage and entertain. Delmar sings an impressive version of In the Jailhouse Now. <laughs> That's actually the one song I didn't like out of all really? of it. I always I skip it. I love that one. I always skip that song on the soundtrack. Okay. There's always that certain song that you're like, nope, that's the one. I always skip it. While Everett attempts to speak to Penny again. When the men launch into Man of Constant Sorrow, they watch in awe as the entire audience rises to its feet and cheers, recognize them as the, it's the Soggy Bottom Bottom Boys! Boys. (laughs) However... Homer Stokes arrives and tries to reveal them as the men who disrupted the lynch mob in performance of its duties. I love how he says it too. He's like, I'm a part of a certain secret organization. I don't think I have to tell you what that is. (laughs) Like it's an okay thing. Yeah. Um, That bothered me a little bit because if you're running for office and it's kind of something you should know not to mention. 
Yeah, really. The townspeople are outraged at Homer's confessed racism and literally ride him out on a rail. Everett, Pete, Delmar, and Tommy resume playing, and a delighted Papio and victorious Papio Daniel joins them on stage and grants them an official pardon. Papio Daniel dancing on the stage is amazing. Yep. After the event, Penny takes Everett back, but demands that he return to their old cabin and retrieve her wedding ring. I've said my piece and counted to three. Damn it, she counted to three. She counted to three. <laughs> the four men depart quickly as the cabin is in the valley that is due to be flooded by in the following day. That we have seen images of, it has not been told, but throughout the entire film we've seen, this is happening on this day, this is an important day, da 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 da, da. They briefly see Babyface Nelson again, recaptured by police, but in extremely high spirits, happy at the thought of being executed in the electric chair. Because only crazy people do crime. Right. Clearly. Fun fact. Yes. The fiddle player in that little uh, mob that's mm-hmm. taking him away mm-hmm. was a, went to, we're alma mater. Went to my alma mater. We're graduates together. He oh, went, look at that. East Tennessee State University School of Bluegrass. Big, big program, actually. Nice. So, Bluegrass program? Yeah. Big. So like, nobody mowed it yet? It's still really tall? Yes. <laughs> we're waiting for that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Starting to figure out how to set him up. Okay. <laughs> the men arrive at the cabin the next morning, but to their horror, find that Sheriff Cooley has caught up with them and his men have already dug their graves. As the authorities loop nooses over a tree branch, Everett, the, the atheist, drops to his knees and prays that he might see his daughters again. At that moment, the valley is flooded. The cabin is destroyed, and Everett, Pete, Delmar, and Tommy surface on the newly made lake. They retrieve the sought-after ring from a floating roll-top desk and return to town. Now, James Cameron, I may want to make sure you watch this, because clearly more than one person can fit on something that floats. <laughs> yes. Nice. Three people fit on that thing. And I do like the fact that Tommy's holding on to the very chest that's got the ring in it. Yes. Well, has a <laughs> ring in it. They see the cow. You'll see a cow on a roof. And he looks off and he sees a cow on a roof. Uh, everything that the old man says comes to fruition in this very scene. Shortly afterwards, Everett is happily reunited with Penny and his children. The family is taking a walk through the town when Penny remarks that the ring Everett brought her is the wrong one. She firmly asserts to a frustrated Everett that he must find the original ring, now at the bottom of a lake. Their daughters sing the hymn Angel Band as they cross paths with the elderly hand car operator who had predicted Everett's fate from the very beginning. Oh, uh, happy ending. Yeah, that's called the bookend. So the movie's over. What'd you think after watching the film, Joel? It's even funnier than I remembered it. It also it helps, you know, to have such a quotable movie, but I loved getting to watch it a little more mindfully than before. I again I usually was just a movie I had on in the background when I was just at home mm-hmm. with family. JC? As soon as I watch this movie, I just start listening to the music. <laughs> I, I take my like three or four songs and I just listen to them on repeat over and over. Yeah. This is this is one of those movies where I'll put my headphones on and I'll listen to In Constant Sorrow five times in a row. Then go to like I just listen to it a lot. My immediate thoughts afterwards were that is a damn funny, enjoyable movie. What was it about again? I think it's just it's a it's an odyssey. It's a journey. The whole story is a journey. Yeah, it's just not the odyssey. It's a different odyssey. Mm-hmm. Did the awards get it right? No. Is that, well, hold on there, Tiger. <laughs> Thank you. 
for Best Adapted Screenplay. Traffic won that year. If I've seen it. It's a good movie. Yeah. Chocolat was up, which another art film. It's all right. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Yes. And Wonder Boys. Should have been Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. In terms of adapted screenplay, we've we've literally quoted this entire movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I can't quote you, Traffic. No. Best I'm not saying... Traffic wasn't a good movie. It just wasn't the best screenplay. The best screenplay was A Brother Where Art Thou. They got it wrong. I agree. Uh, best cinematography went to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Others that were up for it were Gladiator, Milena, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and JC's favorite historical biopic, The Patriot. <laughs> oh Brother Where Art Thou is pretty, but I'm actually kind of surprised Gladiator didn't win. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was a pretty film. Yeah. But Gladiator, like, that was the first epic. That was the, like, sweeping shots and bit like I'm shocked yeah. Gladiator didn't win cinematography. The only reason I can see Gladiator not winning it is the reliance on CGI in a lot of those. And CGI was a new medium so the, the Academy probably poo-pooed that a little bit. Even though seeing the Coliseum fully built was amazing. Yes. Now we go to the Golden Globes where they're more uh, nice, nice to films that we like. Best actor in a comedy or musical, George Clooney wins. Yeah. yeah. He's up against Jim Carrey for How the Grinch Stole Christmas, John Cusack for High Fidelity, Robert De Niro for Meet the Parents, and Mel Gibson for What Women Want. They nailed it. Yeah. They- I've actually seen most of these movies, which is a surprise for when we're talking about the awards. Jim Carrey was great in The Grinch. Robert De Niro was very funny as the dry character that he was, and Mel Gibson was really good, but you can't beat George Clooney in this movie. Yeah. And then we got it with that for best film in a music for a musical or comedy. Almost famous one, and it was up against Best in Show, Chicken Run, Chocolat, and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Almost Famous is one of my favorite movies, but I don't know. It's in the same level as Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I think it could have gone either way that year. No, see, I disagree. I've seen Almost Famous a bunch, and that's one of those movies. That's my nickelback. Oh, really? Almost Famous is a movie. Everybody says it's so great. Every time I watch it at the end of the movie, I'm like, why is this a good movie? Mm Mm-hmm. Why? The reason why I kind of agree that it was right is because I can locate the story better in Almost Famous than I can with No Brother Where Art Thou. See, I look at better in No Brother Where Art Thou than I can Almost Famous. Yeah. I, like, sitting here right now, I'm like, it's about a guy who wrote a, a story, and yeah, he got to ride with a band. Yeah. So like, basically, that's all the movie is. could flip a coin on this one. Yeah. Okay, what worked well in the movie for you in favorite parts? Joel. Um, the casting. Keep your fingers away from Pete's mouth. You ain't had nothing to eat for the last 13 years, but prison food, gopher, and a little greasy horse. Um, <laughs> anytime George Clooney opens his mouth is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's just a Clooney thing, but I think that it's just a comedy thing. He's a great fast talker. He's great at just being the witty, clever character. We saw it in Fantastic Mr. Fox. We saw it here. Um, if you've watched Burn After Reading when it was the Netflix pick a couple weeks ago, he's great in that too. And he's like a total scumbag, but he's so endearing in every role that he plays. He does almost perfect in this one. Maybe the most quotable movie of 2000, if not this decade, um, which has a lot from the year that gave us The Grinch. And I love JC was saying that he always skips over in the jailhouse now. But it's actually one of my favorite songs because it's actually Tim Blake Nelson singing his songs. And so I love just the soundtrack, obviously. But oh, Tim Blake it, Nelson actually singing song. his own song. I, I, and he sings it well. I just, I don't know. I can't dance to it. He, you like the authenticity of it? Yes. Okay. JC, how about you? 
Uh, I mean, you already have down the music, and that would be it. But I actually, to sort of say something different, I love the music. I love the quotability. I love that every time I've watched this movie, I get something new out of it. <laughs> like you, like Joe makes a comment, well, what's the story? It's whatever you make it because it's symbolism. The entire movie is symbolism, symbolism of a journey. Every time I watch it, I can, because I'm older, because I've had new life experiences, what I originally thought that the prophet may be saying about this thing, I now relate to something else. What uh, Big Dan was saying as far as this quote, I can now compare it to something else like, it is a movie that's timeless in that everything it says, everything that every scene that it has can re-relate to something in your life as you continue to live life. It's a movie that never grows old. Like you can watch movies and you'll be like, wow, this is out of date or this doesn't. No. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou is a, a timeless movie because it will always relate to you in some way, in some form. Yeah. Uh, for me, I put the music, obviously. Any scene with Papio Daniel. Uh, and Steven Root is the DJ is great, but also you, I piggybacking off of what you just said there, that this is the timeless movie. It's a movie that because it takes place at a certain point and it uses authentic music from something you would hear at that time, yep. it becomes something that you cannot sit there and going, well, this will never, this will, this will be outdated in a few years. It is outdated and you love it for it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. What didn't work in the movie for you, Joel? I'm with what you said earlier. I always forget the actual purpose of this movie. I get caught up in just how much I enjoy it and just how great the dialogue is and all that. But when it comes down to it, if someone said, so what's it about? It would take me a minute to kind of like gather my thoughts and say, okay, well, it's about this journey and mm -hmm. talk about that. But the story itself is not the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, a lot of stories that are are connected well, but not necessarily as well as they could be from scene to scene. But again, that's kind of a Coen Brothers thing if you watch a lot of their movies. So maybe that's the purpose of it, and that's their artistic vision. JC, nothing, nothing. Oh no, this is, I, this I know is, where your grades going. This, this is one of the few <laughs> movies where I can like, and I I agree with what you guys are saying. Yeah. I just. Or I understand. I don't agree. I think it's very easy to nail down this story. It is the story of an odyssey. And people that say, well, I'm not saying it's retelling the odyssey. I'm not saying that at all. Its story is an odyssey. Like, that's what the story is. You take a journey and things happen on it. And it's always going to relate. I mean, as we were doing this, I thought, well, okay, maybe I could comment on the editing. But the more I think about it, I'm like... Maybe we're not supposed to know what happens. Maybe it is like people lie and you don't know and you can pick apart the story because it fits with the characters. These characters are so well made and so well acted. Any any complaint that I can try to fathom in my mind, I can explain away. And there are few movies, if any, that I can think of that we've done on this podcast where I don't consider it semantics, but I can come up with in my mind a legitimate reason why that's why they did that. And if I can do that for everything, I, I can't think of a bad thing to say about it. Unless you don't like bluegrass music. And if that's the case, then you've, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Yeah, I got that. Music is just so, so good. So good. <laughs> so good. For me, I wrote down there's no real narrative structure. It doesn't follow your typical narrative structure. It feels like a series of sketches all stuck together. Uh and I, I'd written down that there's no real direction, but there is a direction. The direction is a man trying to get home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. it. And it didn't go all the way Homer. Sometimes I prefer these things to go all the way with the source material that they're going. Uh, just because I, I want to see as many illusions and see it follow the same beats along the way. 
Um, it's a road trip movie, and like, and that's what an Odyssey is. It's it's a series of really great scenes, uh, and I'll talk about that in my my uh, anal- my report card later. But uh, who is the audience? for this movie joel it's just a great movie in that i feel like you can watch it with your children and not have to worry about anything like super appropriate there are some scenes that are a little more intense than others but i mean this movie came out in 2000 i was nine years old and we bought it the moment it came on dvd (laughs) so i was 10 and i saw it and there was nothing other than when they squished the frog that i was like oh man that stinks and considering what kids can see on youtube today right um this is yeah so i think this is a good movie that if you want to have a movie night um if you know with your spouse and still have your kid in the room you don't have to like go around like corners big hardwood we gotta put him to bed first and all this because we want to watch a movie no i feel like it's open to anybody to fully understand it and to appreciate it for what it is adults um to i love like jc i think put it into words better than i could but i mean you learn something new every time you watch it which is what i love about certain movies like if it's a favorite movie of mine, it means that it doesn't just get old and you can't, I mean, other than like Dumb and Dumber, I'm not going to watch Dumb and Dumber and get anything new out of it, but, but you'll like, still laugh. But like we talked about like Whiplash and Fantastic Mr. Fox for me, it's each time I watch it, I can focus on something new and mm-hmm. find a new appreciation for it. But when it gets down to it, people that like witty humor, great music and fast talking Clooney. I put down Coen Brother fans and those that like road trip movies. JC? Families. This is a movie where you're not going to get with your friends, like the three of us, to like take a Saturday night to watch this. Like We would enjoy it because we just like hanging out with each other, but there are other movies we would probably rather watch just us. This is a movie where you want the grandma, you want the grandpa, you want the grandkids, you want mom and dad. If you watch it with everybody, yeah, a nine-year-old may not get the Odyssey tricks, but the dad's going to be talking about it. Or the grandpa's going to be talking about what it was like. This is a movie you watch with your whole family and everybody gets something out of it. This is the quintessential family movie. Oh, I like Perfect. That. I like that. All right. Movie report card. A, B, C, D, F in the crime feature film genre. See, that's tricky. I know. Joel? Why, why is this for crime? Because in everything that we've talked about, I almost wonder, should this be a musical? Um, Should this be in the musical uh, genre? No, because I don't think that the flow of the movie is carried by music and song. Then should it be adventure? It could be. I'm okay with because uh, a change if, if, if we I'm want to. Honest, but we could I, do. I know the grade I would give this as a film, mm-hmm. but if we're doing crime feature, it wasn't about it wasn't about crime really. It was yeah. an afterthought. Yeah, it was when we were putting everything together on that one podcast. You know, we were looking at different crime movies. And when I typed in crime movies, this popped up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? Oh, brother, where art thou? Well, the crime is that they escape. And then right. the, the, the resolution is at the end, they are pardoned from their mistakes. Right. Well, I'm just being tricky in, in terms of my grade. Like, and I know we said Joel, but like for me, if this is a crime feature film, I'm probably giving it a B or a B minus. Cause I, when I think crimes, I think of more like the who done it's and type of things like that. Right. But in terms of just like a movie, this is an A. Like this is just an A movie. So yeah, it's it is interesting you say that because my thought, especially when I walked into Joe, I was like, is it a real A? Like, is it a full A? I could easily give it an A minus. But it's weird to say, okay, if we focus on crime, it might be an A minus. But as an overall film, yes, everybody needs to see this. And you know that you get into the buy it, stream it, bin it, whatever. 
But, you know, I looked up like different crime movies. And if you want to classify this as a crime movie, and if you're going to give, if you're going to say, okay, here are five crime movies that you have to see. Honestly, I say you almost have to put it in there because it is a different take on a crime movie. If you okay. sit down one day and you watch Reservoir Dogs and then you follow it with Seven and then you put in Pulp There's Fiction similar movies. and then Goodfellas, you're going to get burnt out because it's you don't know who's behind what. And it, those are all like phenomenal crime movies. But if you do want to put this as a crime movie, I think it's almost a breath of fresh air away from the stereotype of people are at gunpoint and somebody has something that belongs to somebody else. And the whole purpose of the movie is to get it back. Yep. If you, if you want to put this in crime as in evading the police, which is what they're doing and all that, you know, I would have to honestly say it's an A because you need that little subsection of crime because not all crime movies are the same. Just like where if we were to do comedies, we're going to have probably like a dry comedy. And then there are going to be the ones that are just right in your face, laugh out loud, cop drama. I mean, cop comedies and I don't know. So what's your grade? I, I, just said, <laughs> I, just said, I literally just said it. it if we're going to say we're going to do crimes and we need more than one type of crime movie, it is an A because you need to okay. see this to understand that crime cannot just be done one way. All right. Uh, you want to do yours or mine? Uh, after hearing Joel's explanation, mine's also an A. I was I wanted to do an A regardless because I love this movie. Yeah. But I was sort of twisted on the crime thing. But after listening to Joel, I completely agree with him. So A. See, the funny thing is, I had A minus until I heard your explanation <laughs> of it making me realize. You know what? It is the artistic vision. Maybe we're not supposed to know like why this happened and why this transitioned into this. And yeah. I don't know. It's they made a good movie and it's a movie that we have watched. We're able to quote. We love and we still want to go back and watch again for a different purpose. That's right. We have to listen to Joe's soliloquy now. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is a very enjoyable watch. The characters are quirky enough to each lend a reason to giggle. The dialogue is remarkably charming with the Southern wit and highfalutin conversation. And each scene is a pearl. Oh, a mini pearl. I got that reference. Unfortunately, it's <laughs> strung together with yarn. It's an original concept based very loosely on an ancient Greek poem. In other words, some of the scenes are similar to the Odyssey, but the story itself is not. The Coen brothers know how to frame scenes to get the most out of their actors, and they understand comedy beyond dick and fart jokes. George Clooney, Tim Blake Nelson, and John Turturro should have done more movies as a trio, or more specifically, this trio. Their acting is so good, it's hard to think of anyone else embodying these roles. The only place this movie falls a little short is the ending. For some reason, and I don't know what it is, I don't feel like the ending justifies the viewer's journey. I was left wanting more at the end. However, it is an ending that closes any plot threads that are needed with a message that is touched upon at the beginning. You will find a fortune, though it will not be the one you seek. He may not have money, but he has his family. All this being said, the crime of escaping prison duty is resolved through being a popular music act. The bad guys are never really explained, including the man with the sunglasses. It's a great crime movie, but it's not legendary. There are Coen Brother movies that do crime better, such as Fargo and No Country for Old Men. Therefore, as a crime movie, and even so a comedic crime movie, I grade this as an A minus. Quotable, clearly above average, enjoyable, but not pantheon worthy. 
Dun, dun, dun. It's valid. And I am a dick. No, it's valid. It is a valid point. That hurt to say, too. (laughs) This is one of those movies where I want it to, because I'm going to say, I'm just going to get to my, or did you want to do yours? I already did. Okay. It's an A after hearing Joel. (laughs) God, I'm shaking right now because I feel so bad. Uh, And I'm just going to start with this. If the movie was released on Blu-ray, I would buy this immediately. Yeah, go buy it. It is so great. And you will laugh your way through it. Is it not on Blu-ray? It is. Okay. Yeah. Um, Joel? I bought it. I bought it on DVD, but you all should buy it too. Mm -hmm. And JC? Buy it. Go buy it. Yeah. Go right now. Because it's probably cheap someplace. I don't think you'll get a more perfect movie to watch that just fell short of the pantheon. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing. Like, I mean, the thing is, do if we switched it to adventure at that point, does it become an A? So that's I don't know. I can't do it then either because the points still stay the same for me. Right. Maybe. So the reason why it's not pantheon is it doesn't fit into any pantheon. But the reason why you need to see it is because it is a great movie that you cannot find anything wrong with because it fits all genres. I like that. Which there are no movies that you can really say fit all genres. And this one, it has romance. It has action. Um, Musical. Does it it have horror? I don't know. It's scary. Well, the Cyclops beats the shit out of the guys. So this is a movie that could arguably fit all genres. So that's why you can't give it an (sighs) A. It's a jack of all trades. It's an A movie, but it's a master of none. (laughs) <laughs> it's being a great movie. Yeah, yeah. They're like everyone should watch, which is weird. And it should be in a pantheon. That's all we've got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we will look at Poltergeist from 1982 for the horror film pantheon. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean and give us a four or five star review. Like us on Facebook and Twitter. Follow our Instagram. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching.